Werewolf. Werewolf? There. What? Werewolf. There. Castle. Why are you talking that way? I thought you wanted to. No, I don't want to. Suit yourself. I'm easy. You're listening to Movie Sucktastic. refuge that we have here and i know you guys out there all going insane i'm going insane too it's 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 a madhouse you 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 come home and you watch the news and it's either you're pissed off at the republicans or you're pissed off at the democrats either way you're pissed off and fighting angry because there's so much nonsense going on if you were following the kaylee casey or whatever the hell the name of the dead kid in the trunk was if you were following that and the mother got off scot-free you're so angry if you're watching any kind of television for, just admit it your your blood pressure's 10 levels too high and then you come here this is your outpost, your sanctuary. This is where you rest, relax. This is where we bring comfort to you. This is because we, the escape world of movies is where we want to be. And, and so you go to, to escape to films, and what happens? You, you need a little comfort. You need a little, uh, little consolence. You, you need to be relaxed. You need to be at ease. You need to find some reason not to shake your fist at the sky and scream. And what happens? You catch the trailer for Battleship. <laughs> That's right. They made a movie on a, out of a board game. It's not the first time, mind you, but you watch this, you look at this, and you think to yourself, you just, I, I just, you know, you're sitting there and you're watching this trailer for Battleship, and you think, you know, from the beginning of enter, of the entertainment industry, from uh, let's say back to the written word, when people used to paint on walls or just pass down uh, the tradition of stories from one orally, from one person to another, from one tribe to the next, then to the written word, uh, literature. Throughout the ages, the idea of art has been to communicate, has been to entertain, to comfort, to to communicate ideas, expressions, thoughts, are brought to mind, to... to to uh, they're they given their own flesh, as it were, and and the idea taking an idea or a concept or emotion and turning it into a piece of art, something to be whether that is art is meant to be consumed on an intellectual level or purely as an entertainment level, it is still uh, an expression of the inner being of man, and it, it is poured out, and we we drink it in, and we make our own. We take we take from it what we will, and it is a beautiful thing. And we've gotten to the point where it has been perverted into there. Is, there there was not one per this this is not the movie. If you watch this trailer, and I'm not saying it's a bad film. I haven't seen it. I've seen a trailer, and the special effects look nice. Yes, but but you think to yourself, well, no one had an idea. There was not a person who sat up and said, I have an idea. This would be good as a movie. No one looked at the battleship box or was playing the game and said, you know, this translates to a story concept. I could see, and no one had a vision, and that vision was transformed into a short story or, or an outline or a screenplay or a novel or a painting. There was none of this. What happened was a board of people with money, a group of people with money, sat around a large table, probably a nice one. I'm thinking mahogany, teak, uh, maybe a nice maple. And they shuffled papers, and they had suits with ties, and they talked, and they harumphed. And and uh, money-making aspects were, were uh, brought up. And one of them was, well, we have this uh, property. We have an intellectual property. That we would like to to uh, 
oh, we would like to transform into a larger franchise. It is a franchise in itself, yes, the game franchise, but to expand the franchise, we want to build upon it. We, we think there's more capital to be made here. We think we can build upon this franchise to create more capital. Not once does the idea of an, of, of an emotion, an idea, a story, uh, communication of anything come into this mind. It is all money. It is all transactions and, and negotiations and capitulations, and it all comes about, and, and before you know it, there's a, a hundred million, I haven't even, I don't know the budget, we'll ask Joey, uh, obviously millions of dollars, of uh, tens of millions, possibly hundreds of millions, have gone to the bu- special effects of the budget, and you can even see, well, I can, you can even see the concept being batted back and forth, well, who, who do we have them fight? Well, we can't have them fight another country because we, you know, we want to put this to a broad audience, but we still need the action. It's a battleship, after all. There has to be war. But what country are we going to go to war at? Well, we can't turn it into any kind of global theater, th- global uh, theater of war situation because then, you know, we're going to turn off some other countries. And let's face it, we're selling this movie to the world, not just to America anymore. Well. You know, Transformers is coming out, and people seem to be liking that Transformers stuff pretty much. Yes, you're right. Transformers are the are the bomb. Well, then, and, you know, alien movies, everyone likes invading aliens, and that's an, that's an enemy we can attack because there are no angry aliens on Earth to complain. And there's we have no alien market. No, no aliens are going to boycott us. We're not going to lose any alien dollars. That's a great idea. Let's combine the two. Let's make alien ships that kind of transform into big... Uh, battleship kind of looking things, and we can put our battleships against their alien battleships. Why, that's genius. Get some men on it. Let's write a screenplay. I guarantee you there's at least three names on that screenplay, if not more. Let's cre- let's start. Let's get the toy line guys on location on on the set design we production. Let's make sure that the, all those all those ship designs are translatable into little cheap ass plastic toys that we will have little eight year old kids making in Korea, and then we'll ship them back over here and sell them for eighteen dollars a pop. It's it's a gold mine. Yes, let's run with it. This is the bastardization of the entertainment that we consume. We no longer we no longer consume anything that's it, it's not man-made. There is no humanity in this in this movie. There's no humanity in the production of a board game turned into a film purely as a cross-market monetization of an intellectual property. It is not co- this is as bad as fu- the sawdust they're putting in your foods now, folks. And I understand you get frustrated, you get angry. I don't want another battleship. I don't want an avatar. I need quality entertainment. And that's why you come to Movie Sucktastic, because all we do is talk about the films that aren't. I'm sure we'll be watching Battlefield Battleship and we'll almost at Battlefield Earth. I can't. It's you know you hear bat. It's it's going to be a tough draw. You you see Battleship. You see oh Avatar, and you think oh this sucks. Where's the good entertainment? Well, you're not going to find it in the big screen. You're not going to find it directed video. You're not going to find it anywhere. It's rapidly deteriorating. But come here because we'll make the pain hurt less. We will soften the blow. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to take the bad and squeeze whatever good blood we can find in that stone of crap and just suck a little bit of enjoyment out of the pure drivel that we're being force-fed. Now, uh, by the way, you can listen to us on iTunes, Podcast Pickle, a host of other sources. You can get us on uh, Clicker, Clicker, Licker, Dicker, what is that thing? It's it's on the phones. Joey just got us hooked up on it. It is sweet Stitcher. Oh God, listen to us on Stitcher. I listen to our podcast now on my smartphone, on my Android, my Droid X. Listen to us on Stitcher on the go. Just put in your iPhone and tune into us. You can hear the newest episode. No waiting to put it on the iPod. But if you have an iPod, run that too. But go to moviesucktested.com. You'll get all that information. Uh, every anything you need to know to find us, you can find it there. Along with, oh, you can email us to at moviesucktastic.com. That information's on there. The movie guys at moviesucktastic.com. And you can call us, 908 514 4470. That's 908 514 4470. Call us. Bitch about what I'm talking about. Disagree with me. Agree with us. Just uh, name random actors for a minute and a half, then hang up and giggling. I don't care. We'll play it. I'll play it. Joey will play it. We'll play it. Uh,. Next episode, Joey and I are going to be back together again. We're reviewing some stuff. Uh, I think we're doing the rape 
episode. Tune in. That should be a lot of fun. A lot of giggles. And we'll probably also hopefully be reviewing Beginning of the Golden Age. No, the New Dawn, the New Age, Beginning of the New Beginning of the New Harvest. What the hell is that film? It's that Chinese film we were talking about last episode. Beginning of the New Dynasty. That's got to be what it is. Uh, yeah, and we're 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 hell. Uh, uh, if you're listening to us, China, the revival, beginning of the great revival, the founding of a party. We're probably hopefully we'll be reviewing that next episode. So tune in then too. If you're in China, by all means, listen, pass us around, and get us your review. We will read it. We will play it on the air. We are trying to get banned in your country. Please help us. But uh, before I get on to the movie reviews, I'm going to touch on Beowulf briefly, and I'm going to review Skinwalkers. Uh, Joey's challenge to me. I want to. I want to give us a little calming of the tide here. I want to bring a little culture to the audience here. We're watching these bad movies. The Battleship Earth. Uh, sorry, the Battleship movie comes on the uh, trailers playing everywhere. The Smurfs just came out. Zookeeper's still in the box office, and it's just overwhelming. It's I can't. You can't. You, you can't breathe. You're, you're, you're like Chris Christie being rushed to the hospital for asthma. You can't choke in the air. You just, it's it's like a wall pressing against your chest. It, it's like a feeling deep in sodomy. You just can't get rid of it. And and you, you, we, you need to find the calm blue ocean. I'm going to bring it to you folks by restoring you to the literature of classic entertainment. And it's film literature entertainment too so what i have done i hold in my hands an out of print copy of a a book from which one of my most favorite films ever was adapted from and what i'm going to do is every episode i'm going to read a paragraph or two of this book uh serializing it as it were until i finish it or someone who owns the copyright to it hears me and tells me to stop uh the book is called the terrible game was written by Dan Tyler Moore. The copy I'm holding in my hands here is uh, is from the year 1969. It's the first printing of Signet Key books. The cover has two men in what looks like Roman gladiator uniforms fighting with what appear to be swords with the ends bent into hooks. It's called The Terrible Game. A daring young spy plays for his life on a top-secret mission of split-second thrills by Dan Tyler Moore. This book would, years later, turn into the film Jim Cotta. And so I'm going to bring to you the first installment of Jim Cotta, The Literary Origins. Chapter 1. The big, mysterious-looking Italian-style house was located 15 miles outside Washington up the Potomac River. It was perched on a cliff overlooking the slow waters of the old Chesapeake and Ohio Canal. Two hundred yards to the east were the stables, and spread around it on all sides were four hundred acres of beautifully tended rolling grasslands. A slender, shortwave radio transmission tower of the most modern design was perched on top of the old ivory-covered windmills, ivy-colored windmill. A sharp clanging sound was coming from a walled courtyard on the north side of the house. The courtyard, about 40 feet long and 20 feet wide, was surrounded by a 15-foot red brick wall covered with ivy. Two armored figures were circling around inside the courtyard, apparently trying to kill each other. Each welded, wielded, welded, each wielded a long curved scimitar of curious shape, and each was holding in his left hand, thrust out towards his opponent, a heavy knife about six inches long with a massive brass handguard. The scimitars were so sharply recurved at their tips that the points were directed back towards the handles and sharp hooks. The blades appeared to be designed for slashing or hooking an opponent. Each man wore a complete covering of black lacquered leather armor reinforced with strips of metal. Each also wore a steel helmet which extended down to cover the back of his neck. Their faces were protected by nose pieces which dropped almost to their chins. The only difference between their armor-covered antagonists was that one was heavier and stronger, and the other appeared to be more quick and agile. They circled warily around each other, fainting with their swords for openings. Every few seconds, there was a furious exchange of blows and parries. The next portion of The Terrible Game will be read next episode. I hope this brings to you 
a bit of bit of comfort, a, a bit of realization of where movies come from and and how they can originate from ideas and and a need to communicate and entertain. Um, with that, I'm going to take a break and a, a short break, a very short break, just to re- replenish and renew. And when I come back, I'm going to touch briefly on Beowulf and. Depending on how long I take on that, just leap right into Skinwalkers. So, so, so hang tight. Welcome back. Movie Sucktastic Round 2. For those of you playing the home game, I'm up to the finger list now, and Joey's not here, so I'm just going to burn through the top 10 of the last week, July 22nd to the 24th, just so I can give you the finger list. I just want to keep up on this. Uh, Coming at number 10, Midnight in Paris. I'm not even reading numbers. Midnight in Paris, eh, I'd watch it. Bad Teacher. Pass. Winnie the Pooh. I hate Winnie the Pooh. I'm sorry, people, any of you guys out there that grew up with Winnie the Pooh and have this warm, affectionate feeling for this orange, tubby little personification of greed and and mild retardation and stupidity and and selfishness and and, uh, God help us all for any child who actually makes some kind of emotional connection with Winnie the Pooh. Everybody, Tigger, Tigger is a sociopathic menace to himself and others, the only person worth their spit in that movie, in that cartoon, in that whole storybook thing is Eeyore, because Eeyore knows on which side his bread is buttered, and that's the side on the floor, thank you very much. So I don't like Winnie the Pooh, uh, and I find the idea of them doing a new version of Winnie the Pooh just grasping a straws. sorry, uh, don't care for it. Cars 2, could be Cars 1 for all I know, Zookeeper, oh... Anyway, that's that's uh, number six. Number five is Horrible Bosses. Uh, we've covered all this in past episodes. I'm not going to spend much time on them. There's nothing really new on the list. Transformers 3. Haven't seen it yet. Trying to get there. I'm sure it's a good spectacle. Friend with ben- Friends with Benefits. Ah, yes, another romantic comedy about friends having sex. Because that, that mine has not been dug deep enough, and we have not been shafted enough with it. Uh... Uh, oh, everyone loves Justin Timberlake, though, apparently now that he stopped singing. But uh, I, I'm sure it's charming. I'm sure it's wonderful. I'm sure your, your girlfriend will love it. Harry Potter Part 7. Could care less. Number 2. And number 1, Captain America, which looks good. But again, another origin story. The only thing that's going to save this film is is uh, just some really cool action sequences in war. You know, good. It's, it's it's good to get back to movies where we can root for the war war again. You know, we have a real enemy. We have to keep going back to the Nazis because that's the last real enemy we had that we could really just you know that was the, the human historical equivalent of evil. And I mean, really, on a major war level. Okay, I know there are other dictators out there that we've had doing that, but most of them we funded too. So it's hard. It's hard to find like a true moral ground in, in a war t- in a realistic and a historically accurate war setting not that there was a red skull on a captain america but you know what i'm trying to stay so stop hounding me about it it's nice to get back to the basics and the fact that they've got captain america wearing like a leather helmet and with and, and shooting a gun on top of the shield and even hit i saw the trailer where he has the shield in the motorcycle like from the tv show i think it was so that's that's awesome that's kind of cool uh, I, I would like to see it, and I'm going to see it soon. I was going to see it at the drive-in last week. They were playing Cap last week actually at the drive-in. They were playing Captain America and Transformers Three. What a double feature! Unfortunately, uh, in our state, the temperature was around oh 105 that week, and you couldn't breathe the air. You'd walk outside and you you could not breathe. It was so devastatingly humid and hot. And the idea of sitting in a car. Even with the windows open, even with the hatchback, even sitting outside on the lawn for four, five, six hours just drained the life. Just the thought of doing it drained the life out of you that weekend. So I missed it. This weekend, they got a double feature of the Zookeeper and the Smurfs. So if I do that, because it's going to be a suicide watch, uh, we'll, we'll we'll see where that leads. I probably won't. I got too much stuff going on this weekend. We'll hold out for something good. It's been I haven't, haven't been the drive-in yet. Anyway, finger list for the week of July 22nd to 24th. 
Let me just throw in there, uh, shit, Zookeeper's still holding ground. I, I, I could choke my way through Friends with Benefits. I'm sure there's some humor in there. Harry Potter, I, I no, don't care for it, but I'm, I'm sure it'll be pretty. And I forget if this one's in 3D or not. I don't think so. But, you know, whatever. I'm sure I could suffer through it. I'm sure the special effects, blah, blah, blah. Win, Winnie the Pooh, even though, even with my wit, hatred for Winnie the Pooh, I could still, I would still wouldn't mind seeing that in the theater. If I had a second, if I had a second finger list, second runner-up, if I had a runner-up on the finger list, it would be a uh, bad teacher. But even that, I'll suffer through. I just can't stand Siegel. Uh, yeah, uh, Zookeeper, second week in a row. Or second Scott-tastic week in a row. So that's that. Now, last episode, I challenged Joey to Beowulf. <laughs> Poor bastard. Oh, anything with Christopher Lambert in it, except for the first Highlander, is pure torture. The man cannot act. Literally, he has two expressions. Three. Three. He has one expression where he's kind of smiling and his eyes are a little bit furrowed. So it's like he's smiling and he knows something. And he really doesn't, folks. That's the funny part of that. There is no knowledge behind that smile and that knowing look. Then he has the blank stare that's supposed to be menacing, but it's really just kind of blank. And then he has uh, a cross between... It's a cross between surprise, sadness, and despair. And it, it, it never really meets any of those. That's the third look. So he only has those three looks. And I believe the first two are the only ones that really in most of Beowulf. Um, as as you all know, Beowulf is the classic, uh, the classic epic poem about the warrior-turned-king who defeats uh, several monsters throughout his lifetime. And it's it's there's... Uh, there's oh I mean you could go on and on about the the, the classic poem, and it's the the portion of the film that's based on the epic Beowulf is the part where Beowulf in the in the epic poem of course Beowulf travels to uh, the to help the Danes because this creature uh, Grendel um, a descendant of Cain has been just killing people at the uh, Hurut. Herot, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Herot, uh, the Mead Hall, uh, because he was jealous of their camaraderie and the fact that the humans could interact with one another. And so he would kill them every night, and of course he can't kill the king because the king is, uh, is protected by God, and, and the king won't attack him because the king's got responsibilities. So Beowulf comes in the town, and he tears his, tears Grendel's arm out of its bare socket, and and then Grendel's mother comes, back, comes in and uh, does a whole mess of damage too. So then Beowulf has to follow Grendel and the mother back to their underwater lair. If you've seen the animated cartoon, you know the gist of this. Uh, the animated cartoon. The animated, the computer animated version that came out in, what, 2005, 2003? Seven? I don't care. Anyway, uh, there's very little in common with the original story in this Beowulf that Joey was watching. Uh, Christopher Lambert's Lambert, his Lambert sounds better. Christopher Lambert's character is called Beowulf, and there is Hrothgar, the king, uh, and they are at what in the original story was a kind of a, a mead hall slash throne room kind of gathering place. Now is an outpost, which outpost apparently means uh, disused foundry, and there's this creature Grendel keeps showing up and killing people in this outpost. So the nearby villagers, of which there's no village that you can really see, they've got the place surrounded, and anybody that comes out of the building, they execute them with what appears to be a giant replica of a straight razor. They've got it, literally, it's a giant straight razor, and they drop it on people and cut them in half, because an arrow to the head apparently is not symbolic enough. And so we, they start off the story with that, and the Beowulf, who is white hair for some, what short white hair for some reason, comes out of nowhere, uh, accompanied by the wolf whistle from Good to Bad and the Ugly. They rip that right out of the movie, and he tries to save the girl. The funny thing about Christopher Lambert and Beowulf is that he doesn't save anybody. He he really doesn't. He doesn't save the girl at the beginning. He saves her once, but then she runs away from him after he saves her, and she dies. So he didn't save her. And then when he comes in to help, every time he tries to help, people die. By the end of the film, there's nobody left. He's a hero that hasn't saved anybody. This is the probably the the complete opposite of the Beowulf epic poem. 
Christopher Lambert's Beowulf comes into town, talks about how he has to defeat the evil, fails in every opportunity to defeat the evil, and by the time he actually defeats the evil, it's after it has killed everybody except the girl he's going to bone. That's it. End of story. That's really not all you need to know. Now, another thing is uh, we, refer- we referred to this as the futuristic version of Beowulf, and I think some advertisement even calls it like a sci-fi futuristic version. And what it is is not that simple, because other people have said, well, no, it takes place back in the old days, but there's a lot of anachronisms. There's stuff that doesn't belong in a medieval setting, like, oh, giant straight razors, or zippers, or intercom systems, or foundries that have been turned into outposts. The, uh, or, the, or the bizarre Mortal Kombat soundtrack that starts at the beginning with the cute little Beowulf symbol that never really turned into an icon of anything. It was cute that they tried to do that. And the, what, what you have here is just a production that was so low budget and so lazy that they wanted to do a medieval piece, but they couldn't afford to get it 100% accurate. So what you do is you just take whatever you can find and you fill in the holes and then you just make the, uh, you know, the, and so instead of having giving them swords, just give them swords, the little twirling pizza cutters on the end, and then you think, oh, well, it's kind of futuristic because they've, you know, they've got things that move on motors and they've got intercoms, so there's, and they've got gas jets in the walls, so it's a, I even saw one person call it steampunk. Don't even, don't even give it the credit of calling it steampunk. It's lazy filmmaking. I mean, I could run down a couple of quick notes here just uh, that Joey might not have caught on to. I love at the beginning when the horse, or the horse, a horse neighing in the background silences an angry mob about to kill a peasant girl because soldiers back in those days, they rarely heard a horse uh, whinny in the background. So that ever stops being in their track. Uh, there wasn't much futuristic stuff. Futuristic melee weapons was pretty much it. It's really, it's really kind of a toss between whether you're talking about futuristic weapons or medieval intercom systems. It's really hard to nail that down. Uh, it, the, the film, my oh, uh, Beowulf, in the, of course, in the epic poem, there's this whole history behind him. He's fought battles, he's fought wars. Half, the, half of the poem is him sitting around talking about all the things he's done. The other half's him kicking major ass, mind you. Uh, but there's a lot of history behind it. With this, this Beowulf... Uh, Christopher Lambert's Beowulf. It, it's almost horrible to call it Beowulf. Let's just say Christopher Lambert. In this version, Christopher Lambert comes into town. Uh, very mysterious. Won't answer any questions. You know, how'd you get in here? I rode my horse. Why are you here? I have to be here. Why must you defeat Grendel? I must. That's 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 it. Uh, there's really no explanation. And at one point, when you first introduce them, they got the two guys walking down the hall. Joey played the clip last last episode. It's like, oh, I've heard, I've heard stories about this Beowulf character. Yeah, stories you'd have to be a fool to believe. <laughs> Tell you what, would you give us a couple of them? Come on, enlighten me. Come on. We're the audience here. Remember, you're supposed to be entertaining us. You're supposed to be telling us tales, not just hinting to the idea that there's something else to be told. I'm sure whatever you could tell about Beowulf before this film is more interesting than the film itself. Please enlighten us. But it won't. I'm very distressed that they had two black characters in the film, and the older black character has to be the only medieval person wearing a purple jacket and then the younger black character has to be the the wannabe weigh-in comic relief of the film this is like 10 steps backwards for blacks in entertainment please put a stop to this stuff if you see christopher lambert slap him for this if you see mark Leahy or david chap slap them for this if you see graham baker the director don't hurt the guy but you gotta let him know jesus don't do this Oh, um, the funny thing with Christopher Lambert, too, is he always sounds dubbed. I'm not sure if this is because they always have to dub him, or it's just he has the most bizarre mumble, marble mouth accent. He always sounds like he's been dubbed at least twice. And so his voice always sounds removed from the rest of him. It's the most bizarre thing about him. Another reason why he's a horrible actor. Uh, and, I mean, there's really... I mean, Joey really nailed everything else down between the endless house music. I swear the opening, the opening two minutes when it's just the uh, the opening credits, I could have sworn I rented Mortal Kombat accidentally. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's a bad movie all around, and I give Joey credit for making it through. And, and I, I'd apologize, but that's that's the name of the game, dude. you got to take it. So his, his response to me, uh, and again, these are the new rules to our challenges, is that we take an aspect of the one film 
and translate it to and use that as a springboard to the next, sort of like a six degrees of separation, Kevin Bacon kind of thing. So with Beowulf, he took the actress, Rona Mitra, who plays Kira in the film, a character who does not exist in the original Beowulf. Uh, oh, oh, by the way, my favorite part of the Beowulf film, too, I, I don't know if Joey, Joey didn't touch on this, was that Grendel is still a monster, but Grendel's mother, who in the original epic poem is also a monster, in in Beowulf turns out to be a an 80s rock band lead singer. Uh, I, I'm not sure if she's uh, Bonnie Tyler or... Or Debbie Harry, uh, I, I couldn't really tell, but it's she's right out of an '80s music video, and there's a lot of there's a lot of almost sex in the film, and a lot of almost nudity, and you can kind of tell they filmed nude shots, breast shots, and then edited them out last minute. You can really tell they were going for the hard R because that was all they had to redeem themselves. Besides a name, because I, I, I assume it, even in 1999, Christopher Lambert was still considered a name, but they ended up cutting him out at the last minute for distribution, and that's, like, the worst. Anyway, Ronamitra, who was in Beowulf, Joey decided to follow her and take me to a film she did called Skinwalkers. So we're looking at Skinwalkers now, 2006. I sat through this puppy, and it's kind of funny, because just the other week I thought to myself that I remember when the trailers came out, and actually, if you go to our blog, one of the first blog posts I ever did was, I had this idea at the beginning, I was going to review films I hadn't seen. And what I would do is I would watch the trailer, read the uh, read the synopsis, and I would pretty much, and honestly, not too far off, thank you very much, you would pretty much review the film just based on what it's going to be. And I didn't keep up with that because there's really nothing, anybody can do that, you're not really bringing anything new to the table there. Uh, but uh, I never got around to watching it. <laughs> and I have not gone back to read my old uh, comments on it either. So it's interesting for Joey to bring it up. And uh, yeah, this... Not as bad as Beowulf, Joey. Uh, it, not not good. Not good. I'm not going to make any uh, any. Uh, I'm not going to cause another scene here, or you know. But it it, it really it wasn't mind numbingly bad. But it's not a good movie. So I think I can touch on this. But I'm going to take one quick break. Maybe play the trailer from Skinwalkers, and then we'll cover this. There is a gene that separates man. From animal, summer born with water. For thousands of years, there are some things in this world so frightening that we pretend they don't exist. They have lived among us. We call ourselves skinwalkers. Feeding on our flesh. You're addicted to blood. It's like drugs to an addict. Once you feel, you can't go back. For some, it is a curse. We want the curse to end. They don't. Where's the child? You're the only one who has the power to end the curse forever. For others, it is power. I am not human. We're better than that. Now, on the rise of the Red Moon. Something's gonna happen. Something they can't allow. That kid. A war will rage. For control. We need to move together. Of their kind. Join me. I'm nothing like you. Welcome back to round three. Yes, Skinwalkers. Here's what happens, folks. Uh, movie producer, movie director, somebody somebody has some money or can get money, say, hey, do you know that there's uh, another name for a werewolf is a skinwalker? It's an actual name that was used back for uh, uh, any kind of shapeshifter. It's, it's, I, I forget the origins, but it's some kind of old world or, or American Indian kind of name for a werewolf a skinwalker it's interesting yeah so that's a great title for a werewolf movie let's get one get give me a screenplay in two weeks we'll start filming in a month i think i can get elias kateas in it and skinwalkers was born 
uh, just there's really nothing nothing to recommend the film as far as originality or, or plot. The basic story of Skinwalkers, my friends, is a 12 year old boy is uh, living with his single mother in this town of about oh well. I mean, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. The real basic gist of the film is that there's two kind of werewolves. There's the kind that uh, there's the good kind and the evil kind. Oh, I'm sure you heard this story before. This is like in every goddamn werewolf vampire film now every other one at least there's got you got two warring factions one want to have peace with the humans one want to use the humans as food slash food and so a battle ensues now in this case we have a golden child in the middle a young a young 12 year old boy by the name of what's the little bastard's name oh Varric Jason Bear was was that Jason Bear no that's the that's the father I don't care what the kid's name is the linchpin of this whole movie is that this young child is the key to curing the illness of lycanthropy. This child, it has been prophesied that uh, this child of mixed blood origins, again, you know, if you've seen, if you've seen Blade, if you've seen, uh, we could rattle on, the kid has mixed blood, and so it's prophesied that when the moon turns blood red for three days in a row, on midnight of the third day, the cure will happen, or it's very vague, and uh, I, I personally, I'm, I, they don't really, there's never really any attention drawn to the fact that the moon turns blood red for three days, and the world doesn't descend in the mass chaos of, uh, and I mean, I mean, we st- we have people, one preacher says the world's going to end, and you've got thousands of people selling their, selling their <clears throat> houses and everything, trying to prepare for the end time, so if, if the moon went red, Blood red for three nights in a row. I mean, forget it. It's it, civilizations we know it would just collapse. And how the moon knew that this kid was around for so long in the first place? It, it's kind of like astrology in reverse, if you think about it. It's affairs on Earth affecting the stars and the planets. So that that alone is kind of suspect. Besides the whole plot, so the film has these biker werewolves. There's four of them, six of them. Four of them. There's four. There's four. Four bad bikers, and then this kid apparently, since he was born, they've known that he was the golden child. They knew he's the one that's gonna can end the werewolf, uh, the, the 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 reign of the lycanthropes. So they protect him, and their I in, in the thirteen to twelve years that they protect this child, they they seclude him in a town, and they don't tell the mother. By the way, the pr- first thing you want to do when you're trying to protect the child from any some from an outside evil that might come to kill him, is not tell the mother whatsoever anything that's going on because then it's good because we can have an hour and a half of the mother running around and so, what what's going on I don't believe it you're crazy and then eventually she comes around and now I have to protect my child from the stuff and and it's it's a really trivial plot point it makes no sense what also doesn't make sense is that this 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 kid is the sole reason that the soul and it is this kid is the 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 answer the cure for all these werewolves and they protect him in this town that the werewolves themselves have co-opted pretty much, and it seems to be a town of uh, population 12, 15. Not that much. Really, there's nobody in town. So when the four bad guy werewolves ride in on their Harleys and then and whip, up, whip out guns and start walking the streets, they find the kid right away, and there's really nobody else around except for the werewolves, and there's only 12 of them. So I don't know how the economy of a 12 werewolf town works. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Uh, the sheriff died. They they killed the police right off the bat because apparently small town police you can just take out with one, you know one greasy drifter with a shotgun, and they never I, we never find out if the if the the sheriff or chief of police whatever you want to call him if he was actually a werewolf too. We we don't get the answer to that side of the story. Uh, and and when the when the Biker werewolves roll in the town. They just they just drive in the town. They find out where the kid is because it's apparently it's the worst kept secret in in the werewolf clans. And the whole idea of the werewolf clans too is they want to protect this child, so they spread themselves out like like five or six places along in in the state or wherever the hell they are. I don't know what the the geographic ranges of werewolf uh, clans. But these clans spread out and then send videotapes to each other. And, and by the way, the good the good werewolves strap themselves in and I said they won't hurt anybody. We'll get into that in a minute. And so they send videotapes of the golden child, the back of his head, because we don't want to give tip anything away. 
you know, which which pretty much turns into evidence once the bad werewolves find out where you are. And they do this to help, I guess, renew faith that, that it's, the time is coming. But if all those werewolves in these different camps that they're sending these videos to just came to the town and lived there, then there would have been like 30, 40 werewolves against the four bad guys when they came for the kid, and it would have been a shorter film. But it would have been too logical, too. And uh, let me look at my notes here. I mean, it, I, I could just like run for the film beginning to end, but... You know you're, you're, you know you're in trouble in this film in the beginning. The very first shot is an Asian guy running through the forest scared. A, he bumps into an upside-down guy with belts hanging off his arms, which is explained later as the werewolves trapping themselves and so won't hurt people at night. The bad werewolves catch him. They hang him upside down, and they threatened him, and he said, I'm not going to tell you anything. And so the the one bad werewolf chick, uh, our, our leading lady there, she uh, points a gun at his head, and in order to prevent them from killing him with a bullet to the head, he grabs a knife from the other werewolf and stabs himself in the head. That's right. Uh, think about it for a couple minutes. There's still no real reason for that to even happen. Why it was a... I mean, it, it, it's the last act of bravery, but a really stupid one. I, I mean, I, I can't... There's, there's no reason for it. So, when, when that kind of logic in a film where you need to have that heroic thing happen, and it happens, but there's no logic behind the, the action... You know the rest of the film is just going to go down the down the hill from there. And also the first half of the film, there's like three or four look-out-behind-you moments where the guy, where the camera is so far up the guy's ass to the right, right-hand right side of the screen that you know the minute he turns around, there's going to be someone behind him going, Hello. And that just... It gets really, really, really hard. The town ta- oh, uh, they live in is called Huguenot. That's nice. That, that was That's uh, really crafty screenwriting there for you. <clears throat> And, and I mean, there's so much... It, it's, it's little logic problems throughout the whole film. I mean, the grand logic is a little flawed, yes, but the little logic problems are more of a stumbling block. I have a harder problem understanding why the Asian guy stabbed himself in the eye to avoid being shot in the eye. That I have a problem with. When we first meet the mother with the kid, you, you, you quickly get the idea that the husband's been dead for a long time and she's been living there with this extended family with the child, and she's saying at this point, well, it's time for me to leave because, you know, it, it, it's everybody's been so helpful, but it's time for me to, you know, to strike out on my own, and I, I need to know how to be, learn to be, how to become a mother on my own. And, and all I'm thinking is, yeah, a single mother with not only a, a, the, her, her dead husband's family there supporting her, but an extended family of the town that's supportive and helpful and concerned... I'd be running the minute I got a chance too. You dumb! I mean, there are there are single mothers out there just just struggling to even feed their kid, let alone have a supportive. Really, it's, when you throw something like that out there, it says I I have no sympathy for this woman, and obviously none of these characters are playing on a realistic level. And there's other little 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 things like that in the film are irritating. When the when the biker when the werewolf bikers ride into town. Um, Rona Mitra's character, she's got a shotgun, and it's it's a pistol grip shotgun with the, you know, and she shrugs her shoulder, and the shotgun cocks. Whoa, you can't, no, 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 no. I mean, literally, a little shrug of the shoulder, she jerks her hand, and the shotgun cocks. And that that's just not, I'm not, I don't really, I'm not a big stoker on gun stuff in movies, but that was going a little too far. And also... You go to see a werewolf film, and honestly, 90% of the werewolf film, the werewolves are in gunfights. That's irritating. Gunfights between werewolves. And they're really iffy on, on whether the werewolves are stronger, strong in human form, too, because they die. I mean, they kill werewolves with bullets, but the, it takes a, quite a few bullets to take down the werewolves, and so it really... And they never really kind of answer that. Either the film's really bad with killing people... Like make it like you know the typical idea in, a, in an action film where they take seven bullets and they should have been dead on the first one, but they keep moving, and it's hard to tell whether they're just going by that action film logic of people not dying until it's cool, or if they're trying to imply that the werewolves can take more damage because they're werewolves at night. They never really cross that line to explain it. Uh, the one thing they try to explain is is why there would be a werewolf faction that wants to stop the cure from coming out. Uh, and that's, that's where it really wears thin because, I mean, 
and yeah, the whole idea, they never really clear on how it's going to end, so I guess the whole idea is that at once midnight hits on the third night of the blood moon, the kid explodes and like anti-werewolf pixie dust flies through the air, or uh, or uh, maybe it be, they're, they don't really know, it doesn't make any sense, and at the end it turns out to be, and I'm, yep, spoiler alert, I'm going to ruin this for you folks, so don't even worry about it. Apparently at the end it turns out that it's it's the kind of, uh, it's the, the whole the whole spiel with oh it's his blood is uh, day daywalk it's uh not daywalkers daybreakers it's daybreakers all over again oh yeah his his blood is the cure so when the world bites him the world's cured and now we can go spreading it by putting bullet putting his blood in the tips of bullets and shooting werewolves which wouldn't really work because the blood would dry up and kind of. I don't think the blood would be preserved in the tip of the bullet. I think you'd have to make some kind of serum out of that. But they just show them taking it out of the kid's arm and putting it right into the fucking bullets. And but then the idea is that through this one kid, uh, you can save, you can cure the van, the, the werewolfism, the the lycanthropism, lycanthropism, uh, lycanthropy, uh, uh, skinwalker disease, and uh, based it, um, based named after Luke Skinwalker who first contracted the disease back in the 50s. And even then, at the end, the whole idea is we're on the run and we have to, we have to keep moving because the werewolves are trying to kill this kid to prevent the cure from getting out. But since afterwards, when you find out the only way to be cured by this kid is to eat, eat his blood or have the blood put into you, the rational answer is, well, if you want to avoid being cured by this kid, just don't move into town. Just, you know, just don't bump into the kid and start a fight. Don't be near the... Go to a different country. We know he's in America. We know he's in the, in the Midwest, Southwest. Go to France. Do American World in London. Do something like that. It's like the... the it's... There, again, it's the, the leaps in logic that you're expected to make just to enjoy a werewolf film where the, the werewolf makeup is not that good. And... Uh, since Rona Mitra is supposedly hot, uh, they, 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 her makeup for the werewolf looks more like a cat than anything else. And and here's a question for you. If you've got Rona Mitra and you're doing a werewolf sex scene, I have a problem with the concept that there's a werewolf sex scene, two werewolves are doing it, and not once in the montage of a sex scene are they doing a doggy style. That does not make sense. There is, there is. That's a leap in logic. I'm not willing to take. It's just me. But uh, and also there's a bar sequence which almost rips off Near Dark, because after we meet the werewolf, uh, bad werewolf guys, the kid escapes town. Uh, this kid who through the entire film, pretty much everyone this kid has grown up and known and loved his entire life is killed one by one. So <laughs> it's a good film for him. And and uh, there's no really there's no attempt at even approaching the psychological problems involving that. Also, the twist in the middle of the film, you find out that the lead uh, bad werewolf biker is actually his father. He didn't die. Oh, great! So now we have the mother daughter mother father thing going on, and and so that that's more psychological damage on the child that really is not never going to heal because uh, his father turns out to be alive and also turns out to be want him dead, trying to kill him. And is a werewolf. Uh, there's really nowhere else to go with that. Uh, Elias, and also having Elias Coteus as your f- father figure growing up as a child, that alone is going to cause some psychological damage on any real human child. So there's a problem with that that I just can't. But anyway, this bar sequence, uh, it's not. It's all. It, it'd be a ripoff of Near Dark if the film could have afforded extras or to film a real scene in a real bar. So what they do, it's like a pseudo bar. And uh, it, and also, you, you got a tip of the hat to any director who starts a bar scene with the follow the girl's ass with a bottle of beer across the bar shot. That's always a sign of a true expert, a true oh auteur of the of the filmmaking uh, arts. Anyway, the problem with the bar scene, besides the fact that there's no uh, bar patrons except two guys and a girl. Uh, who and, and literally, we were introduced to the bar scene, and then the werewolves attack. But before the werewolves attack, in a one-minute sequence, girl buys beer, girl walks over smiling to pool table where two guys are playing pool. 
girl gives beer to guys, they all laugh because they apparently know each other, and then the two guys begin to try to rape her. The, the whole scene goes from zero to rape a lot quicker than I imagine it really does in real life, especially with people that she seems to know, or at least be friendly with at the moment. It literally, it's, here's the beer, hey, how about doing both of us? What? Get your hands off me. Throw her on the pool table! That's it. And the, no, not the bartender, at that point, the bartender might even be dead. It's kind of hard to tell. But it's really a horrible scene altogether. Shouldn't have even belong in the film except just to show that they're bad werewolves and they'll kill people. Uh, and that apparently, if, if you go to a bar and you're female, there's a good chance that you could be raped if you take a beer bottle to the pool table. I mean, it's, it's really disturbing how quickly that scene goes from good to bad. Another problem with the evil ba- the evil vampires, the, the biker vampires... They ride into town. They figure out where the kid is in the town. They ride into the town not knowing the situation. Guns drawn. Shotguns hanging by their hip. Just wandering the streets of this strange town not knowing what they're going to bump into looking for this one kid. However, when the kid ends up in a hospital, they suddenly decide they need subterfuge. So in a hospital setting, you've got the, the you've got uh, uh, Ronamitra pretending to be injured and having to wheel her in and then putting on a nurse's uniform and, and sneaking into the kid's room when really all they have to do is throw a couple of hand grenades through the window, maybe a firebomb, you know, just going go shooting. It's really bizarre. Uh, when they don't know what they're up against, they could be up against a town of like 50 or 60 people, they just wander in and, and start opening fire. But when they know that they're up against a, like four or five guys protecting this kid and they're in a hospital setting, suddenly it's Mission Impossible. Uh, again, the leaps of logic in the film, it really hurts. Other than that, uh, yeah, I mean, having your werewolf, uh, your villain werewolf, not only be a, a, a meat-eating, a blood-eating werewolf that kills humans, that wants to kill a kid, but he's also a deadbeat, bad, a deadbeat dad who apparently hasn't made a child support payment in 12 years, so that that's pretty evil. That That's mess, messed up. Uh... And, and oh, I have a note here. Uh, after a while, the, oh, you have these these werewolves, these this werewolf pack of bikers riding through all you know the riding. It's it's all everything takes place in this like the middle of the woodlands, and you keep waiting for these this werewolf biker gang to run into the the Collins playing baseball on an open field. Uh, that would have been that's the movie I want to see. I want to see the four bad biker werewolves wander onto the field with the uh, with the Collins out there. And uh, who's the girl? Oh, and of course, the, the the one of the people that protects these werewolves is an American Indian. Let's bring that again. It, it's just it's the same shit over again. And here's a question. Throughout this film, the werewolves are tracking the child, and they're doing it with a hawk or an eagle. I think it's a hawk. And it's it's the, the the one biker's got a hawk, and they send it out, and the hawk's tracking the kid. They don't explain how the hawk's tracking the kid. Can the hawk sense the kid? Does the hawk have super sense? When did this movie become fucking Beastmaster? All of this every every five every ten minutes, like the hawk will land somewhere. And say, oh, the, the werewolves are near. Why are the werewolves near? Well, because they're following the hawk. And how is the hawk tracking the kid? Well, because that's what hawks do, right? No, that's not what hawks do. Hawks attack mice from up in the sky. They don't track twelve-year-olds in the back of a van. That's not a. That's not on the hawks list. And how does the hawk even attract, track the kid to the town in the first place? They don't even know what the kid looks like until they bump into him, and apparently they just open fire because they assume the first twelve-year-old kid they see that's got to be the chosen one. Holy shit! And the, the, the fucking hawk. And, they, and eventually, and the last time we see the hawk, the hawk kills itself. In order to steer the... Not only does the hawk know how to track the kid, the hawk gives his own life to shatter the windshield of the truck knowing that the mother's driving. And, of course, the mother can't drive a truck for shit. So the minute the hawk smashes into the window, they, the, the truck flips over on the road. So it's not... It's, it's, a, it's a 12-year-old, half-breed werewolf tracking, mystical, uh, intuitive werewolf, Kamikaze Hawk. Give me a fucking break. So yeah, all right. So the film did have its moments of frustration, and the final, the final frustration of the whole thing is is that they're trying to protect this kid. So when they're in this town, that supposedly they, they they've got this kid in a town with twelve werewolves living in the entire town, and when and that can't hold off four bikers with guns, and they have, they got the the four bikers outgunned, outmanned. And they still can't fend them off, so they hop into a uh, the, uh, a 
bread delivery truck with straitjackets glued to the wall, and they drive cross-country for days and days to get to the safe house. And the safe house turns out... At first I thought... At one point they ran up in a cave. I was like, dude, don't tell me that the fucking cave is a safe house. I'm going to throw I'm gonna throw stuff at the screen. If, the, if a cave with an open mouth is the safe house. That wasn't the safe house. That was just a, that was just a place to stop and rest. Because apparently it's, it's safer than camping. So they eventually get to the safe house. The safe house, of course, is a foundry. Because it's it's not a bad film if there's not a foundry involved somewhere. And an operating one, too. Apparently one that's got... Anyway, uh, and so they've traveled cross-country to lock the child in a steel cage with the mother. And this is going to protect him from the werewolves. Now, my first thought is, <clears throat> they had 12 years, they could have built a steel They could have built a steel cage in town. They could have built a steel cage in a concrete bunker underground in town. They had over a decade to do this. They did not. Instead, they drew a, they had a map with a long line that says, okay, if worst comes to worst, we're going to drive all the way out here over exposed highways without any really designated areas to stop because it's going to be uh, it's going to be like a one day two day journey and we're going to have to make ourselves make our way to a huge huge abandoned foundry with plenty of places to hide and get lost in and and so we can't tell when anybody's coming up on us and we're going to lock the kid in a 6 a 12 by 12 steel cage that's that, where he's visible from all sides and which during the fight sequence it takes one skinny female vampire werewolf, sorry, one skinny female werewolf jumping on to crash the ceiling in. This is the plan. For all intents and purposes, werewolves should be extinct by now because apparently having the ability to change into a beast at night that feeds on the flesh of humans seriously diminishes your mental capacities because this makes no fucking sense. I, I'm, and that's... Where else can you go with that? Once they lock the kid in the cage, all right, this okay. That's this was where this was where you guys were driving for two whole days, three three days and nights. This this was your master plan. This is where I get off. Unfortunately, we're at the end of the film, so it's too late to call get off. You know, the, the bus is already at the station. I, all I can do is really wait until the driver pulls it around now. And and the worst part, of course, is after. So so of course everybody's dead by the end of the film except for the mother who's protecting the son, and then the, the evil father who's trying to kill the son, and the, and every, he, they kill every other person that the kid has ever known or loved. And then the father bites the kid on the neck at midnight. And, of course, this is when the cure happens, so what happens is the father turns human again. And so now we, we flash forward to an indeterminate time in the future, and they're a family now. It's the father, the mother, and the son. Because apparently the mother and the son have been able to not only get over the fact that he's been dead for 12 years, the mother's been able to ignore the fact that he lied to her and has been fucking... Uh, what the hell is her name again? Rona Mitra. Not doggy style, of course. But he has been screwing this other werewolf and riding around town. And both the mother and son have quickly gotten over the fact that he's just spent the last... Th- he spent a three-day period doing everything he could to end that child's life, including sinking his teeth into the kid's neck. This is the family that has held together through some pretty tough times. Yeah. And then and then the ultimate the ultimate real slap in the face. Again, the leap, the, the leap in logic it takes to have a scene where they're in a hotel getting a room and then the mother Who's who is now? Who is now? What's her name from fucking Terminator? She 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 you know now she's a badass, and she looks in the bell, and there's a reflection of the Grim Reaper with the sickle hovering over her and the kid, and so she whips around with the gun and puts it in the guy's face, and it's because because really, if you're on the run from werewolves, the first thing that's going to trip your warning systems is seeing a reflection of the Grim Reaper because, as you know, werewolves always bring the Grim Reaper directly out of like the Bergman film with the flowing robes and the sickle. That's the first thing. When you see that, werewolves can't be far behind. And she whips around with a gun and, and then, of course, the camera pans over and it's like, oh, look, it's a guy in a, it's a, guy in a death costume because it's Halloween. <laughs> 
which is why they didn't hear him come in the room because the door's right behind him, but they didn't hear the door open. And that's why when she saw death reflected in a bell, she immediately assumed they were after the sun because he's a cure for werewolves. It's 10 seconds of 15, 20 seconds top of screen time that just burns into your brain and won't let go because it's so fucking stupid. And that's the problem with this film. It, it, It's really... It's it's not the the overall scheme of the film is just dull. You take the the whole plot of the movie is just kind of yeah whatever. But the little leaps in logic you're forced to make. It, it it's it's like it's instead of having the hammer crush your skull, it, it it's somebody slapping you in the back of the head with like a, a textbook repeatedly until the skin wears down to the bone and and you've gone you're. Ears, your senses have gone numb from the repetition of the slapping in the back of the head. So, so kudos, Joey. Uh, you, you've, you've, uh, you've done well. I, ironically, I wasn't that, I wasn't that up against the film coming into the review, but now that I'm done talking about it, I, 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 I want to curl up on the ball. So, Skinwalkers, that gets a pass from me. So, uh, now I have to give Joey a challenge, and here's the dilemma. I've set up... It was my idea. We, we have set up the rules, but it was my idea originally. And uh, Joey jumped on and immediately helped me flush it out. And the rule is it, there has to be a, a link between the films. Now, Joey just did a link of an actor slash actress. I could do that, but I don't want this to become, okay, we're going to follow this actor, let's follow this actor. I want to try to keep it open to the idea that we can follow more than this to actor. Uh, now, originally my idea was to go with a theme. Uh... And my idea was to take the idea of a child who was meant to save the world. Or, you know, in, in a sense. I mean, this kid's saving us from lycanthropy, so of course, in a sense, the kid's... It's a young child who holds the key to defeating evil. I wanted to use that as a springboard. I could do that. Or I could go with the director of the film, who has done some other stuff too. And it's a tough call. So I think what, what I'm going to have to do is flip a coin. Because I, I'm having trouble making this decision, so I think I need to leave this up to fate. Joey's fate is in is in the hands of a average quarter. Heads, it's going to be the child that saves that you know that the young child prophesies to protect us from evil. Tails, it'll be the director. So a little flip of the coin here. And, oh, it's Heads! Okay, so for Heads, Joey, your challenge. I decided we're going to take a little tour here away from horror films, which is something I was hoping to do. Little, a little bit away from the genre, uh, a little more towards uh, the 80s. <laughs> and, uh, Joey, your challenge is a film about a young child who is prophesized to... Save the world from evil, and in order to make sure, and of course, the dark forces have zeroed in upon this child, and they're trying to kill this child, just as they were in Skinwalkers, and just as it was in Skinwalkers, somebody must protect that child, must save that child from the evil. However, unlike Skinwalkers, there is one, there is also someone who has been uh, prophesized to protect the child, a chosen one, and this chosen one must protect. The Golden Child. Joey, your challenge is to watch the 80s Eddie Murphy film, The Golden Child. I want to start mixing it up a little bit here and getting some uh, films that... Now, <clears throat> for those of you out there who say, Oh, The Golden Child, I loved that growing up. I'm the same way. I loved that film as a kid. But go back and watch it now. It is not a good film. And there's a, this, this isn't going to be a horrible, mind-bending one. This isn't Jim Cotter worthy in the least. But I want to I want to steer us a bit away from the genre film because it's so easy to find horror films and sci-fi films that suck. I want to take us a little bit into this direction. So Joey, you're watching the Golden Child. I'm pretty sure you haven't watched it in a while, like I hadn't until recently. So I need you to go back, rewatch the Golden Child, put on your adult brain, put on your modern time thinking shoes, and I want you to approach Golden Child as a movie sucktastic reviewer. Okay, that is your challenge, sir. And I will see you shortly. Uh, this weekend we will be recording our next episode or two. We're going to try to squeeze in a couple. So that's really it. We're going to wrap it up here. This has been a Movie Scott-tastic episode of Movie Sucktastic. 
You can find all your Movie Sucktastic needs at moviesucktastic.com, spelled the way it sounds. You can contact us there. You can call us on our hotline. You can email us from there. You can check us out on Facebook from there, Twitter from there. You also got the iTunes. You got the Podcast Pickle. You got a Pod Feed. Uh, Zoom, we just gone live on Zoom, people. Stitcher, listen to us on your iPhone, on your iPad. Uh, no, I don't think iPad, I think it only works for phones. Listen to on your Android. Uh, that's us. That's me. That's it. We're done. And just, just remember, there is a good chance that Rupert Murdoch is tapping your phone. So, if you're going to leave a message, I get a good one. Good night. I mean, it could be good night if it's night there. I mean, it's night here now, and I say good night which is kind of like goodbye, but you're if you're listening to this on your morning drive, you're like, jackass, it's like 9 a.m. What, what do you mean goodnight? I, I, I still have a whole day to go through, and I, you want me to go to sleep now? Well, I don't want you to go to sleep, especially if you're driving to work, because that could be dangerous. You could steer off the world and die. When I say goodnight, what I'm really trying to say is uh, adieu, avidasane, farewell, so long, uh, I'm just it's, it's, it's a way to say goodbye, for God's sake. Just take it and go. Goodbye.